Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Hey, so our scripture reading starts this morning. This is the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, verses 1 through 23, the first part of that verse. You can find this in your pew Bibles if you want to follow along on page 1001. Listen for the word of God as it comes to us this day from the Acts of the Apostles. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, Cornelius called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Peter saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house 
and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand. For how long? Really, how long? No, seriously, how long? Amen. Let us pray for illumination. God of great faithfulness, sometimes your word is clear, and sometimes your word is confusing. As these scriptures are read, meet us in this moment and remind us how you would call us to live in this beautiful yet broken world. Amen. We continue our scripture reading in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 23b through 33. This text may be found on page 1002 if your pew Bible, if you care to follow along. The next day, Peter got up and went with the men sent from Cornelius, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And he had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and, falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, Four days ago, at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now, all of us are here in the presence of God, here to listen to all the Lord has commanded you to say. This is the word of our Lord. What if your faith were to become richer, deeper, a year from now? What if the coming year was a year of spiritual journey? What would you need to do? How would you start? Through the journey of our life, for our faith to grow, sometimes we need to ask for directions. So Roger and I are going to share the sermon today. Uh, someone asked, does that mean it's twice as long? <laughs> Yes. Yes, it does. Oh, happy day. The passage we read is an important moment in the book of Acts. It, it describes, I think, the greatest reformation in the history of faith. The largest social issue that the early church had to deal with was the issue of race. How could Gentiles 
be included in the grace of the Messiah. You remember, the Messiah is the promised one, the expected one, the coming one of Judaism. And so the blessing was expected to extend to Jews. But all of a sudden, all these Gentiles are showing up in worship, confessing their trust in Jesus as the Messiah. No one expected that. How did this happen? Well, that Reformation, the inclusion of Gentiles, it, it begins with Cornelius that we just read about. And it happens this way. So Peter, he's like first string of the disciples, right? Peter has a vision. It's a vision about kosher laws. You know, what you can eat and what you can't eat and, and, and who you can eat with and who you can't. But Peter's vision, it challenges this age-old kosher practice. It, it was difficult because kosher was one of the ways that Jews practiced being Jewish. And to say that another way, it's a way they practice not being Gentile. But all of a sudden, Peter has this vision that seems to stand those rules on its head. God said, what I have made clean, you don't get to claim as profane. What seems to be a new way to think about food is actually a new way to think about God. It was quite a vision. Now, I personally have never had a vision. Maybe you have. I've never had a vision. But I imagine having a vision from God is a pretty elite form of spiritual experience. At the same time that Peter is gifted with this vision from God, a man named Cornelius, who's described as as a centurion of the Italian cohort, read Gentile all caps. That's what that is. Cornelius receives a visit from an angel. Now, I have had a visit from angels. Um, no, No dude with halo and wings has ever showed up, but angel just means messenger. And I've had people in my life that have spoken grace, forgiveness, hope, angels, all of them. And again, as spiritual experiences go, it's pretty lofty. So this is why I'm doing this. It's intriguing to me that Peter, who has this profound experience of God in a vision, and Cornelius, who has this profound experience of an angel visiting him, it's clear that even with those experiences, they have no idea what God is up to until they talk to one another. Peter shows up having been summoned. He shows up and said, well, I wouldn't have come because I'm not supposed to associate with you. You know the rules. I know the rules. Not supposed to associate with you. Not supposed to visit. Certainly not going to eat with you. But I had this vision thing, so I thought, why not? But then Peter says, so why am I here? And Cornelius says, I don't know. I was just told to summon you and to listen to whatever you got to say. It was only upon meeting one another, upon having conversation with one another, that they began to understand just what God was doing in their lives. To do that, Peter had to take a pilgrimage. He had to take a journey. It was a geographical journey for sure, but even more than that, it was a spiritual 
journey. And it's on that pilgrimage and in that conversation that they discover the revolutionary thing that God was actually doing in them and in the world. So you just reminded us, Tom, that a Christian pilgrimage is distinguished as a spiritual journey, but also a geographic journey. So remember this, uh, Joppa is 35 miles south of Caesarea. Caesarea was built by Herod the Great. It is the provincial capital, the Roman capital of the Roman province of Judea. Jewish persons hated Caesarea, and no devout Jew would dare to go to Caesarea unless they were compelled, forced to go. It must have been an amazing journey Scripture tells us it was two days of walking. Peter and some other believers, a Roman soldier, two slaves from Cornelius' household, journeying to Caesarea. If we know anything about Christian pilgrimage, we know that what happens on the journey is important. The destination is important as well, but what happens on the journey is also important. And we need to be attentive so that we can see what God is doing among us. So a number of you know that I was born and raised in Honolulu and then moved to Seattle when my father got called as the pastor of the Japanese Presbyterian Church. Every summer we would go camping and living in Seattle we had the amazing blessing of being a day's drive to three national parks, Mount Rainier National Park, North Cascades National Park, and Olympic National Park. We camped there for a week, week and a half at a time, four boys, mom and dad, our beagle. It was a great time for us. We'd go hiking almost every day. Dad would map out a different hike for us to take. And because we're four boys, our goal was to get to the top of the mountain, to get to the destination, to get the hike done as fast as we possibly could. Over and over again, I can hear dad in my head still saying, boys, slow down. Boys, slow down. We'd get to the top. We'd race each other to the top, and we'd have to wait there. Eventually, Dad would come with his backpack, and he had the snacks that Mom had packed for us. And then we had to sit there and wait, because the rule for our family was we could not eat those snacks until everyone was there. So we had to wait and wait and wait until finally our mother would show up and we're like, oh, finally you're here. And dad would unpack the food that mom had made for us and we'd share. We'd ask mom, what took you so long? And she said, oh, I'm slower than you, boy. Yeah, you are. And she'd say things like, but wasn't it fun to watch that family of marmots that was playing in that rock outcropping by the trail? And we'd look at her and say, what, what, what family of marmots? Oh, there were boys. There was a mother and father and three little marmots, and they were having a great time. By the trail? Yes, by the trail. I watched them for 20 minutes. Oh, and wasn't it great to see the beavers there working so hard on building up their home there? The, Mom, you saw beavers? Yes. They're working so hard. They have this dam going. It's just amazing to watch them. Where were the beavers? Well, they were in the middle of the lake. There was a lake? <laughs> in Christian pilgrimage, the destination is important. 
The journey is important too. We've got to be attentive. Otherwise, we're going to miss the holy moments that God is revealing to us. So, Roger, you're saying we, we need to be attentive. Peter was attentive on his pilgrimage. That's how he's, he allows his own understanding of God to evolve, to, to grow. And this is important. When we encounter someone whose life experience is different from our own, often they can be for us teachers of faith. There's things that, that they might reveal to us that, that we would not discern on our own because of the limits of our own life experience. And, and that's the way it should be because God is always bigger than you and I. God is bigger than even my best idea. God's expanse is broader, and so we become teachers of one another. Our, our, our Muslim friends, they pilgrimage to Mecca. You know that. Our Jewish friends may pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Uh, for you and for me, it's less about the place. It's more about the people. There can be places that inspire. Roger's mother knows that places that you see, and they become teachers as well. But it's the people that we encounter, particularly people whose life experience is different from our own. They can sometimes open our eyes, as happened to Peter, open our eyes to see what God is doing in our midst. So the Reverend Casey Tolmey is a good friend of Tom's and mine. He's now in heaven with the saints. For many years, Casey was the senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Nashville, and then he joined the faculty of Austin Presbyterian Seminary, where you served as chair of the board for a number of years. Casey was taking a vacation pilgrimage with his wife and two children. They were driving from Nashville to Montreat, North Carolina, and he had a blowout in the back of his car. He was able to safely pull the car and the trailer to the side of Interstate 40. This is in the mountains of eastern Tennessee. He said there were semi-tractor trailers and cars going right by him, 70, 75 miles an hour. That was unnerving. He got his wife, Carol, and their two kids to the side, leaning against a rail to be safe. He had to undo the trailer, and then he realized he had to unpack the trunk that was already packed with all kinds of things to be able to get to the spare. As he was doing that, he heard this loud motor pull up behind him, and he looked, and there was a gentleman on his motorcycle, dressed in all black leather, dark sunglasses, a bandana on his head, beard, and tattoos of both of his arms. Casey said at that point he was more afraid of this man than he was the traffic that was zooming by them. He thought to himself, oh great, now I'm going to be robbed by this man here by the side of the road. So he was surprised when the man came up to him and said, looks like you're having some trouble, sir. May I help you? And Casey was startled and, and said, actually, sure, I could use your help. He hadn't changed a tire in years. The gentleman helped him dig out the spare, helped him get the spare on the car. He said, I can follow you to the next exit. And Casey said, no, you've already helped me enough. 
gentleman said, oh, I've got time, sir. I'd be happy to do that. Casey said, you know, there's six billion people in this world. Of all of them, this is the last man I would have chosen to save me and help me. He said it changed his whole perspective on this gentleman and on his life. That's what happens when you encounter the other on your pilgrimage. So, you know, one of the growing things of my own faith in recent years is I've spent some time thinking about joy and what is the source of joy in our lives. And let me tell you where some of that started. Several years ago, several years ago, a group of us went to Thawake, Kenya. It was a pilgrimage for me. While there, we interacted with people in the village. We, we visited the, the schools there, and there we would see three or four children sitting at one crudely made desk made out of two-by-fours, a chalkboard up front, very few books in this village. I watched Jerry Woolsey test his own dentistry skills. All day long, he stared into mouths devoid of regular dental care. The only light in the room was a headlamp he had strapped to his own forehead. He, he passed dental pliers and syringes through a window outside where Lucy Tidwell or Melanie Mann would, would sterilize them in a pressure cooker. I watched Kathleen Stanley hand out eyeglasses and watch amazing smiles come across faces as those who saw blurry things come into focus. These people have very little. They have very little hope. Uh, apart from a few of us here in this presbytery, I don't know that anybody else in the world even knows they're there. But then we went to church, and you know what they did? They danced in church. They danced. We preached, kind of like this. David Zioka and I preached. I would preach, and then he, he would paraphrase. And David's a much better preacher than I am because everything he said got an amen. I got nothing. <laughs> but they danced. They danced in joy. They danced in a defiance in the face of their circumstances. And I got a glimpse of what can happen when you trust in Jesus with your life. It's a source of joy, and it was holy. They were angels for me. In Jack Kerouac's old novel, On the Road, Sal Paradise, his life falls apart, so he decides he's just going to hit the road, get out of town, take a road trip. He and some buddies, they start hitchhiking to nowhere in particular. And then in the middle of Nebraska, an old farmer asked him the question of the book. You boys going to get somewhere or are you just going? When you're just going, it's just a trip. But when you're trying to get somewhere to a new understanding of what God is about. It's a pilgrimage. St. Augustine used to say, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. Pilgrimage is the spiritual practice through the ages to address that restlessness, to open ourselves to the bigness of God. You know, Peter had it all figured out. 
Peter knew what the rules were. This gospel is just for the Jewish people. It's not for Gentiles. And then God leads him on a journey, on a pilgrimage, and he is changed and transformed forever. Sometimes we need to ask for directions. So we read scripture, study the Bible, and we seek and speak truth. And we pray, even the Lord's Prayer, together. And yes, as the Spirit leads us, we journey on a pilgrimage together. And we are changed, and we are never the same. Please pray with us. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.